Welcome to Startup Camel. Today we have Odie Dehan here to tell us about how IoT revolutionizes gardening with his startup Green IQ. This episode is sponsored by Rise Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv's number one space for fintech. Rise Tel Aviv offers office space, mentorship, and fintech events on a nightly basis. Have a fintech company or want to get involved? Contact them today at www.thinkrise.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Startup Camel. I'm your host, Adir Freilich, recording out of Mindspace in the center of Tel Aviv, Israel, the only place in the world that entered the 21st century with a net gain of trees. Not bad for a country in the desert. Today, we have Odi Dehanen, founder of a cool irrigation startup called Green IQ. Let's get right into it, Odi. What is Green IQ? Give us your elevator pitch. So Green IQ saves fresh water to the world. We designed a device. It's an IoT device, Internet of Things, that controls your sprinklers. It connects to the Internet either via Wi-Fi or cellular connection and adjusts the scheduling of your sprinklers based on the weather. Awesome. And is it a device and software? It's a combo, right? Yes, it's a combo. It's a device, hardware device, software, app, and cloud. Awesome. Basically, landscaping, and can it be applied to larger scale, or, or you're just really focused on smaller landscaping, personal use kind of thing? We're focusing on the small landscaping market. So we sell to homeowners and also to commercial real estate developers. So we water, you know, university campuses, hospitals, city gardens. And it's basically combining timers on the device, plus there's an app where you can control. Did you say it has something connected to the weather even? Yes, so the device itself has its own software. It is being controlled by our cloud, the Green IQ cloud. And we do have an app, an iOS and Android app, that allows you to adjust the scheduling of the uh, sprinklers. But the basic idea is that it's like, you know, uh, touch-free. You don't really need you don't to... don't have to even think about it. You don't have to think about it. You just configure it once, and it just works. And it keeps track, and it has some kind of data. And Yes, yeah, so it collects weather information, both past, present, and forecasted weather, and adjusts the scheduling based on that weather. So if tomorrow it's going to be rainy, Maybe it's a good idea to reduce the amount of water or even eliminate the watering cycle. You know, it's so advanced, and I'm going to want to hear a lot more, but, you know, I helped a friend when I was visiting Australia once, and I just plugged in, like, one of the timer ones, and it's so simple and it's mindless, and it changed everything for him. But this is obviously on the next level where it's a smart device connected to the garden, basically. Definitely. Most of the devices that are currently in the market When I go today to the hardware store to buy a sprinkler controller, I buy almost the same device that my father bought 35 years ago. So this industry has been stagnant for decades. Interesting. How about competition? Like, you're entering into a market that's so big, obviously, but there's also so many types of, you know, IoT devices these days. Like, what's the competition? Where are you guys in comparison to everybody else? So there are several gorillas in the market that are dominating the market, especially in the U.S., but also in in Europe. But those companies, they still produce and develop those old sprinkler controllers, which are time-based, okay? They water regardless of the weather. So it could be raining and it could start sprinkling. That's what's happening every day. It It happens every day. And it's a pure waste. So (laughs) by having a smart device connected, Green IQ basically saving water, and it's just more efficient in general. 
Correct. Are there other smart devices on the market? Is there any like direct competition? Yes, there is direct competition. I think that it's a good thing that there is direct competition. There are, you know, a few companies that are competing with us. All of them are startups. So it's a competition between startups these days. Gotcha. And now you said you're in Europe and you're expanding to America? Correct. Do you have like a nice market share in Europe? I mean, how many customers do you have? We have thousands of customers. All of them are, you know, they paid for the system. They installed the system. Is there a monthly subscription fee options, advanced stuff? So we have two models. One model is the Wi-Fi based, which is uh, usually for uh, homeowners. So they buy the product, it's a one-time payment, and that's it. And then they get the internet service from us for free, lifetime. However, for commercial customers, we charge a little bit less for the device itself, and we do have a reoccurring monthly fee for the service and also for the cellular connectivity of the product. Gotcha. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, let's pause the green IQ stuff. Let's just go back a little bit in time. Along the journey to entrepreneurship, were you more of a lemonade stand kid or a late bloomer? Well, I was definitely a late bloomer. I worked as an engineer in the Israeli high-tech industry for 23 years before I became an entrepreneur. (laughs) So I... Is green IQ your first business that you started? Yes, that's the first one. Okay. What did you do in high-tech before? I was doing a lot of things, but mainly I worked for the uh, cellular infrastructure industry. So I was part of the 3G and 4G revolution. The fact that you can now surf, you know, using your iPhone, I was part of that revolution. Amazing. What sparked inside of you to start your own thing? I mean, sometimes it's a very comfortable place to be, and especially in the high-tech world, get nice salaries, very comfortable lifestyle. What, like, changed inside of you that made you want to start your own company? So actually, I wanted to have my own company for a very, very long time. My wife reminded me that on our first date, which was like 25 years ago, I told her that one day I will have a company of my own. So the bug was there. But I had a really good time, you know, in the Israeli high-tech industry, good salary. I was promoted. I was the chief architect for Motorola Semiconductor for all the cellular infrastructure industry. So I had really good time, good salary, enjoyed a lot, learned a lot. And only then I decided that now is the time to break out. So how and when did you come up with the idea for Green IQ? I was sitting in my home. It was a very cold and windy night and rainy when suddenly I heard the sprinklers go off. So... I told myself, well, there is no way on earth that I'm going out right now to start and playing with this uh, stupid sprinkler controller (laughs) to turn off the sprinklers. There has to be an app that is doing so. So I Googled it and I found nothing. That very night, I was sitting in my study doing the architecture of the system. Amazing. I guess when you're in the high-tech world and you think of an idea, you could just get right to work like on the keyboard, you know? Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you start Green IQ? How long ago? About four and a half years ago. Okay. And did you take a co-founder? Are you a lone founder? I'm a lone founder, which is very uncommon. Rare Uh, in the startup world, especially. Very rare. But fortunately enough, I gained so much experience working in the high-tech industry, both hands-on experience in hardware and software, and marketing and sales, and so many other aspects of the industry, of the business. So uh, it helped me a lot to be a lone 
uh, entrepreneur. For sure. It's about hiring some key people, obviously, to get certain things done. Did you get funded? I remember we spoke a little bit about yes, it. You got definitely. funding. How early on did you get funding? And can you tell us about the rounds and stuff? Sure. So the first year I was working in my garage. Well, it wasn't really my garage. It was my study. So I was working alone for a year. During that year, I spent a lot of my pocket money building the system. And it's quite a complex system because there is hardware. There is the firmware that is running on that hardware enclosure, packaging. There is also an app and cloud and algorithms and all of this stuff. You did it all on your own in the I year. did that all on my <laughs> own. I also built the website, the online store. I created a kind of uh, manufacturing line in my guest room. So I built the first 100 units wow. in my on, own your own. on my own, 100 units on my own. Started selling them to friends and family, helped them with the installation. So it was a lot of fun. I, it was like you did a lot of R and D on your own, with your own money and everything, huh? With my own money and everything. So you got to a certain point where you decided you need to get some funding. Why did you seek the funding? Where did you put the money? So it was clear for me from the beginning that you need money in order to grow, to expand, and uh, you know build more units, penetrate new markets. It was very, very clear for me. So the first round. Actually, it's a very interesting story. I picked up the phone to an Israeli journalist at Globes, and I told her, I have a very interesting story to tell you. So I told her about, you know, this uh, rainy night, and she really liked the story, and she did an item on Green IQ on the Internet. It was a short video clip about Green IQ, and my investor saw that clip wow. and sent me an email. Awesome. The first investor was from like a little clip from the news. So. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. So that was a first angel investor? Actually, it's not an angel investor. It's like a small VC. How much did you raise the first round? Half a million dollars. Half a million. And where did you put the money? Like right away you got the money. It was like obviously an amazing moment because you put all this work in. Now you finally get the funding. What did you do? Like with the money. You didn't I take hired... like a vacation or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I hired my COO and my CMO. Those are the two important roles that I needed. One of them to help me manufacture as much devices as possible at a good cost and the other one to help me with the sales. During the second year, I was the CTO as well. So I was running the company and still the only one who is writing code in the company. <laughs> but you had already laid a nice foundation, obviously. Definitely. All right, so half a million dollars, you hired key people to get production, sales, and did you get another round after that? Yes. You just closed it, you said, right? So after that, we got uh, several rounds using convertible notes. So we raised about $3 million, and then we raised several million dollars, additional several million dollars, but that's a different story. <laughs> what is the total funding that you've gotten for Green IQ? So I can only speak about the first three million dollars. The okay. other funding that we got from a German company called Steel, we cannot disclose. Just happened now? It happened, it happened this year, but unfortunately we cannot disclose the okay, amount. Okay, fine. We'll leave it as is. What is the purpose of getting more money? Like, what, what is the next, like, kind of concept or goal for Green IQ that you continue to seek funding? Because sometimes when you're taking money, you're giving away equity and stuff like that. And unless they're key partners where they're going to help you expand, it might not yes. be worth taking the money sometimes. 
Yes, so the main purpose is growth. We have a product, actually we have a third generation of the product that uh, we launched. So we have the product, we have the technology, we have customers, we have the market, we have everything. But now it's time for growth. We need to invest a lot in penetrating new markets, gaining new business partners, and expand. So like that when costs you go money. to America, you want to try to get like key partners like Home Depot and all the home and garden type of places. You got to get into the stores, basically. Yes, definitely. But Actually, we sell at Home Depot right now. Oh, wow. Yes. In America? In America. Wow. Okay. So not so far away from uh, really being able to expand there. I think they're the biggest store for home and garden. Yes, they are. But <laughs> even when you sell at Home Depot... You still need to invest need some money. You need marketing, to st- advertising, of all course, that stuff. Yeah. Of course, it costs money. Yeah, for sure. This is all sounding so great. The whole concept of sitting at home for a year, working on it and expanding and then getting money. I mean, it sounds like such a perfect peachy story, but I want to hear about some of the hard times. Tell us about your darkest hour. Well, the darkest hour was August 2016. I was uh, sitting in my office looking at our uh, bank account balance. And, uh, you know, many entrepreneurs will tell you exactly that story that, you know, they were looking at, they were running out of money and they have absolutely no idea how to move forward because they heard so many no's from investors. So while doing so, I got this phone call from a German company that I never contacted before telling me, you know, we're evaluating your product for several months now. All our staff installed your product and we really like it. Why don't we have uh, this meeting in Germany and discuss, uh, you know, our next move? So this company is one of the largest gardening tools manufacturers in the world. Wow. Their name is Steel. And they decided that they wanted to partner with us, invest some money, and we're doing some really cool projects together. It's a little crazy that your darkest hour was followed by your brightest hour, basically. You can hear that from almost any entrepreneur. (laughs) You have to just stay focused and realize that it could work out in the end. You can't get too negative or down. Of course. Along the way, did you pivot Green IQ at all? Was the original idea as planned? Fortunately, we didn't have to pivot at all during those four and a half years. And the original idea evolved, developed, but never pivoted. How did you come up with the assumptions in your financial model? Like, you know, a lot of people are just throwing numbers at a board and see what sticks, kind of. How do you come up with it? Okay, so I did a lot of marketing research. I looked into the numbers in depth. I was counting how many homeowners there are in the U.S., in Europe, how many of them are using automatic sprinkler controllers. So I was pretty scientific about it. When you're planning it, and as scientific as you can be, if you compare what your first financial model is to what your success is now, I mean, just curious, like, how it compares. Is it way better? Is it way worse? Is it along the prediction? It's hard to predict it. It's very, very hard to predict. I think that in terms of the market size, the predictions were pretty accurate. What I really needed is, you know, have better assumptions with regards to the penetration rate. You know... Entrepreneurs are always too optimistic with regard to the penetration rate. For so sure. it takes a little bit more time. Everybody's going to hear about their idea and love it and all buy it and share it with their friends. You know, you have to really do some work yes. and get in there somehow. And I think it's a good thing because that's the motivating <laughs> thing for them to work hard and to pass the hard periods. For sure. Shoot for uh, the stars and land on the moon kind of thing. Exactly. Give us a great marketing tip that you've used to expand. 
I think that a good marketing tip would be to think big, okay? Never think that you're small, okay? Think that you're big and whatever you do, whatever you do, do it from a point of strength, okay? You're strong. You're doing something new, something innovative. Be excited about it. Never be the underdog. Be a winner. The thing is, you know, in society as human beings, we're just always looking for like the next new thing anyway. So it's like being new is an advantage. You know? Of course. The old companies need to constantly come up with new things. But really, the new ideas and the new innovations are really what sells the most, I think. So how do you market it? What do you do to actually market we found that the best way to market our product is using partners worldwide. We're selling a physical product to consumers. This is something which is very, very hard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when you do that on large territories, you know, when we sell it in Europe, you need to do it in the right language. You need to do it in the right marketing channels, distribution channels. You need to adjust your message to the culture. Same thing for Europe wow, and, complex, and, and you know? same thing for the U.S. You really need to know and research and work your market correctly. Basically. Yes, and that's almost impossible if you have a small team. Yeah. So you need to leverage. And the way we leverage is by using business partners worldwide. In France, we have our French business partners. In Spain, we have our, our Spanish business partners, etc. Those are very different countries. And those business partners, they know their culture, they know how to do business in their territories, and they bring businesses that we can only imagine bringing by They're ourselves. Bringing new business for yes. you guys that you wouldn't have thought of exactly. That is key, getting key partners. Over the course of your receiving funding and having to present to the VCs and to investors, so give us a tip about presenting to the investors. Actually, many friends, entrepreneurial friends, are asking me this question, and I have an unusual answer. And my answer is be amazing. Just be amazing. Let them think about what you have just said when they go to sleep. They are seeing so many entrepreneurs. They need to remember you. They need to think that, wow, this guy has something that, you know, nobody else have. That's my tip. That's a great one. It's a great one. <laughs> Because it's about how you're presenting yourself, you know? And if you're going in and you believe in your product, you should present it in an amazing way and really sink it in. And a lot of times when you're dealing with rejection from VCs, it's not necessarily that they don't like you or the product. It's just they're not looking into that kind of investment or, you know, there could be a million reasons, you know? You need to accept the no's. You need to be strong enough not to uh, get down by, you know, hearing no and no and no again and again and again. It happens. Just, it, it happens Every no brings you closer to a yes. That's a sales Of course. Tip. And uh, along the way, I mean, eventually you just need one yes. So I mean, Definitely. They're not just sitting there waiting for you to come. I mean, you, you have to find the, the right people. And sometimes if you can find a key investor where the VC is interested and has key partners for you, that's going to be a big help. Since you worked so long in the high-tech industry before you took on your own business, tell us about the difference between working for a company versus working for yourself. Actually, there is a huge difference. <laughs> I think that uh, the largest difference that I saw is, you know, when you're working for a big company, you have this support network that is doing so many things for you that you don't even think about. There is the HR department that are hiring for you. There is the finance department that is taking care for the salaries. 
there is someone taking care for the food for the employees, someone taking care for marketing. There are so many people doing things for you. When you do it on your own, you need to take care for everything, starting, you know, from fixing a bulb in an office <laughs> up to, you know, a full business model. Yeah. So you need to do everything by yourself and utilizing the capabilities of your team. And uh, it's very different from working in a big company. For sure. One of the main differences is that, of course, when you're working on your own, you're responsible for all the things. If you're working for a company, there's a division of labor and there's a position for every single person, especially in a big company like Motorola, you said. I mean, they have everyone for everything. And, and then you start to realize that <laughs> there are so many things to take care of because <laughs> when you start the startup, you don't really think about those things. You think, okay, I'm going to work on the product. Most of the day I'm going to develop, I'm going to make it amazing, I'm going to work on sales, etc. But then you find out that you're working on so many other things because you need to prepare your annual reports to the tax authorities, etc., you see that you're doing so many other things yeah. that you didn't imagine. Tell us a bit more about Green IQ. How many people are working with you now? Where are you guys working out of? So currently we're 15 employees. and uh, All based in Israel? All based in Israel. Currently we have really nice offices in Petah Tikva. That's it. Very cool. What is the next goal for Green IQ and are you hiring? So we have just completed our hiring cycle. So currently we're not hiring. Maybe next year we'll expand a little bit more. Our next goal is very, very clear. We need to expand our sales. Sales is the most important goal for us right now. And we have some really focused goals for the U.S. and for Europe. Awesome. It sounds really good. It sounds like you guys are, I mean, you're going to get bigger and bigger. We are now up to the second part of the interview we call the Camel Race. I am going to ask you a series of questions and you will give us some short but inspiring answers. So first question, Odie, what wakes you up in the morning? My goals. Awesome. There are so many of them. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Do you have a morning routine? If so, what is it? My morning routine is pretty simple. I wake up, I take my daughter to school, and then when I spend some time in the traffic, I, <laughs> I plan my day. And then when I get to the office, you know, start working. Gotcha. How many hours do you work on the average day? Way, way too many. <laughs> <laughs> Glimpse into your toolbox. Give us one tool you think everyone should know about, whether it's a piece of hardware, software. I have a really cool tip, especially for Mac users. You know, your inbox has this tendency to get more and more and more emails. And sometimes you don't delete an email just because you need to go back to that email maybe a week from now or two weeks from now. So there is a really cool tip. You just take this email, you drag it into your calendar, okay? okay. And then when the day arrives, then you get a reminder about this email. So wow, I really that. like to work with an inbox which is almost empty. It keeps me focused, okay? So I don't get this email again and again and again when I really don't need to take care for it right now. Interesting. Give us a small change that you made that had a big impact on productivity. I think that the, the small change is keep my to-do list and my inbox minimal, meaning don't delay anything for tomorrow. Do whatever you can when you go to sleep in the night that you don't have too many 
things on your to-do list. Try to handle as much as you can possibly do. Definitely, because tomorrow is a new day. day. Tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow you will have new assignments, new tasks. How do you stay inspired and motivated through the highs and the lows? So through the highs, it's pretty simple, okay? We have very clear goals. I always say to my colleagues that, you know, I see the future as clearly as I see you, really. And we know exactly where we're going. We know exactly what needs to be done in order to get there. So on the highs, that's pretty simple. You just go after your goals. At the lows, that's much more difficult. And then when you need your, you know, support. And the support always comes from my family. It leads to my next question, which is who do you seek advice from? I try to diverse my people who provide me with advice. So first of all, my team. Then my investors. I got some amazing advice from my investors, friends, and finally my family. Very nice. What would be your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? Actually, I have two advices which are contradicting. (laughs) (laughs) The first one, be fearless. Don't be afraid. Don't wait for something to happen before you jump into your endeavor. That's the first one. The second one, learn. Learn a lot. You know, be equipped with all the tools that you need for the success. Every tool that you have, will help you to succeed. I don't think they're so contradictory, these two pieces of advice, because of the fact that you want to be fearless and you want to be a go-getter. You don't want to wait, but at the same time, you want to still be prepared. You don't want to just, like, listen to this podcast and then say, oh, I have this idea, and quit your job. And, you know, you want to prepare. You got to research. You took. It sounds like you did it exactly the right step-by-step process, and you're probably more of, like, a structured type of person where in the startup world people are just winging it and there's a lot of failure in the startup because of that kind of thing. Preparing and researching and, you know, taking it slowly is probably better. You're right. I think that uh, when you're doing things in a structured way, it, it's not necessarily slower, but it reduces many of the risks that are associated with the startup. Awesome. We are in the startup nation here. Which Israeli startup do you think we should be looking out for besides Green IQ that you know of? There is a really cool startup called Brizometer. And they are monitoring the air pollution uh, uh, using, using adaptive maps. I really love these guys. They are doing amazing things. And they are trying to make the world a better place by reducing air pollution and by providing their customers with a healthier way to deal with the air pollution. It's very smart. Just making people aware that it's a polluted area makes you avoid that area. And then obviously if you're avoiding the area, it's affecting whatever's in that area. And then they have a more vested interest to clean it up. You know, it's great. All right. This was really great. I uh, obviously will be following up and keeping up to date on what Green IQ does. I can't wait to hear all about it and your American expansion. Hopefully the podcast reaches people and helps you out with that. Tell us how to reach you and we'll say goodbye. So Green IQ can be reached at www.greeniq.co. That's our website. And I can be reached at odi at greeniq.co. That's O-D-I at greeniq.co. Awesome. Odi, it was a pleasure having you on here. Looking forward to the future. Thank you very much. Coming up in episode 34, Amir Taroya comes in to tell us about his startup, Tukuru, making voice technology the new user interface. Thanks for listening.